Open your Bible. The B-I-B-L-E, that's the book for me, to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 40. I have a friend of mine, uh, Bishop Tudor Bismarck from Zimbabwe, and he says Isaiah, Isaiah chapter number 40. He would also preach the paint off of these walls. We're going to have to bring him in here. He's about four foot nothing, but in the spirit, he's like 10 foot tall and 10 foot wide. And he preached a message one time, and, and I remember literally when he got done preaching, he just fell. And I don't know if he was just overwhelmingly tired or the, the, the spirit. I don't know. But either way, we carried him out of there, and it was a, it was a powerful time. But he, he talks about revivals of um, a magnitude that are, that are very unique. But how many of you guys have ever been through a storm in life? How many of you have ever experienced the winds of change or the winds of, of difficulty? The storms of life come at you from every angle. You, at first you thought, you know what, I can handle this as long as that doesn't happen. And then all of a sudden you find out that happened too. And then you figure I can get through it as long as this doesn't happen. And you wake up the next morning only to find out that that's going to happen today or tomorrow. It's, it's one of those times in life where the storms rage and you're tossed from sea, tossed around the sea of life, if you will. And you get to a place where some things you can just push through. And one of the things that I like on TV is a show called uh, Deadliest Catch. It's about some fishermen and they, 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 they cuss a lot and they smoke too much and all these other things which I'm not real you know, fond of necessarily. But I like the show, okay? I like to see them pull the, the they call them pots. I don't know how they, why they call them pots. They don't look like a pot at all. They look like a cage. But they pull these big cages out of the water and they've got crab in them. And when they have crab in them, man, they're all happy and they're dancing and they don't care if it's 40 below zero or whatever it is. But when they don't have crab in them, they get all depressed and they're trying to figure out if they're going to make it through life. And it seems like every day they're in a storm of some kind and their boats are getting tossed from one side to the other and almost look like they're going to turn over all the time. But most of the time, they can just push right through the storm. Their ships are built in a way that they can withstand overwhelming wind. You and me, unless you are a maritime person, unless you are a sailor, you would get in that situation and I would immediately head for shore and I would never get on another boat if I had to be in that kind of scenario. But these guys, it could be the worst storm imaginable to you and me and they just continue to push right through it. And the the guys are sitting there and waves come over the side of the boat and they almost knock them in the water and they still just sit there and pull the things out and get the crab and they're all dancing and everything's wonderful but then sometimes there's a storm that sends even the deadliest catch fishermen hiding and trying to just survive it's in these moments that they usually try to find an island of some kind and get on the opposite side of the island where the island will kind of break the wind of the storm and what they do is they take their anchor which is on the front of the boat and they put their anchor in the water and they let that anchor hold them in place there are storms in life for you and for me where we can just keep plugging along but there are other storms in life where you've just got to drop anchor and hold on Have you ever been in the scenario where you feel like I can't take another step. I've just got to hold on. The Bible says it this way. Having done all to do, stand. 
Meaning when the storms of life are coming and you're going through different situations and you're trying to figure out what do I do now or what do I do next? Sometimes not doing, not taking another step, is a, not getting knocked back is a victory. Sometimes just holding your ground is a victory. Well, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter number 6 that hope is the anchor for our soul. That means that we don't hope like the world. We don't sit here and wonder if God's for us or if God's against us. We don't sit here and wonder if God's going to work out, work out our situation. We don't sit here and wonder if God's going to move on our behalf. We don't sit here and wonder if God's going to make a way where there was no way. We don't sit here and wonder if God's going to open a door that no man can close. We don't sit here and wonder if God's not going to bring the right person in our path because hope, the expectation of what God is going to do in our life has anchored our soul to the place that when the storm rage and we can't take another step forward, we're still not moving backward because hope is holding us firm. Your life is filled with storms. My life is filled with storms. And even if you were to get through one of them today, I'm not prophesying bad news to you, but I'm telling you, we live in a world where there are thorns, there are thistles. We live in a world where there is sickness and there is poverty. We live in a world where bad things happen to good people. So you and I have to get very good at withstanding the storms. We have to get very good at being firmly anchored when the winds of life rage. We have to be very good at being firmly rooted in who we are in Christ so that when the storm shows up that you can't just push through, you don't get pushed back. Isaiah chapter number 40, verse number 27 says this, Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, My way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over. One translation says it like this. The Lord is not aware of what's happening to me. My God is not concerned with what's happening to me. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like, well, if God really... What's He doing up there anyway? Can't He see that I'm completely out of coffee creamer and it's 6 o'clock in the morning and I don't want to drive to the store to get it? Surely His Spirit could have reminded me yesterday when I was at Kroger, God doesn't care about me. Have you ever felt like God doesn't care? Now, I make light. But have you ever felt like God's not concerned? Have you ever wondered if God is really up there looking down at you with eyes of love or if he's just up there with mute ears and with with deaf ears and a mute tongue and he can't talk to you and he can't hear you? If you've ever had that thought, please let what I'm about to say wash all that nonsense out of your mind and out of your heart for all eternity. The Bible says very clearly in Psalm 119, God is good. God is good. And He does good. There is a devil that does not like you. The reason he doesn't like you is because you are bathed in the spotless spotless blood of the Lamb. Your sins that were crimson have been washed white as snow. You now get a free ticket into eternity where you will spend year after year, countless year, with Jesus the Christ. You will be ruling and reigning with him. Your life forevermore has been established and the devil does not like you because of it. The Bible says that the devil thought he might be able to rise to the side of the north and sit at the right hand of the Father. But he couldn't do that because he led a rebellion which was 
uh, constantly contrary to the things of God and the Word of God. And the Bible says that Jesus himself saw the devil get thrown out of heaven and he saw him fall as lightning lightning fell from the sky. So you and me have an adversary, the Bible says, that goes to and fro trying to destroy you and me. He's constantly trying to make light of you. He's constantly trying to convince you that you're not worthy of anything. He's constantly trying to convince you that you're not worth anything, that you don't have any value, that you don't have any goodness about you. Well, here's the scenario. The problem is whenever he talks about you, you ought to redirect him quickly. If you can find fault in me, I'm not concerned about it as much, but if you can find fault in Jesus the Christ, then I'll do anything you say. Because the reality is the Bible says that when you got saved, that you put on Jesus. One translation says that you are clothed in Christ. That means whenever the adversary begins to speak negative of you and begins to talk down to you and begins to talk about how unworthy you are, you don't point him to your own good deeds because the Bible says that even your righteousness is but filthy rags, but his righteousness knows no bound and you are clothed in him. Everything about your life is not predicated on who you are. It's on who He is. Jesus is not the kind of God that does not have concern. God is not the Father to you and to me that is not concerned about, your good, about the good in your life and things working out. I remember about eight years ago, Crystal and I were at church down in Houston, maybe nine years ago. Either way, we hadn't been married long. And we were down in Houston and we were praying and it was a prayer time at the church and uh, we were praying about something and we'd been praying and praying and didn't seem to come to pass. And I don't know if you've ever prayed something uh, uh, more than once and it didn't come to pass. Uh, if you haven't, if every prayer is answered to you, please lift your hand. I will see you after church. I have a list I need you to pray for me about. But, but if you've ever prayed more than once and you didn't experience the immediate supernatural breakthrough that we know God's going to bring into the situation, but if you didn't experience it instantaneously, then you know where we were at. We were in a place, and, I, and I, I can't remember what it was we were praying for. I wish I could. But we were praying for something, and, 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 and I remember saying to Crystal, I said, well, maybe God doesn't care. Now, I wasn't saying it like, well, maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he's up there looking down, not caring. I was saying it like, uh, like, like, like if my little girl were to ask me, Daddy, should I wear blue jeans or a dress today? I, I probably don't care. So I would say to her, baby, whichever you want. It doesn't matter to me. So that's what I was thinking. I was like, maybe it doesn't matter to him. Maybe it's like A or B and he doesn't care. Like for me, you know, uh, I, do I want a hamburger or do I want a cheeseburger? I don't care. I just want a burger. If it's got ketchup, we can make it work. And ranch dressing is the new ketchup, y'all. Just deal with it. I saw somebody eating on pizza the other day. Ranch dressing. I said, is that a salad? Close enough. (laughs) But the scenario is, I said, in that way, it wasn't like a, he doesn't care because he doesn't love us. It was just like, well, maybe it's not important to him. I don't know. And immediately, have you ever said something that sounded so smart in your head. But when it came out of your big mouth, you go, whoa, that wasn't right. And I said, maybe he doesn't care. And immediately, all I can tell you is my spirit man. He said, okay, spirit man, here's the deal. You're made up of three parts. You are a spirit. 
You live in a body which makes up your flesh and you have a soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's why 3 John 2 says, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Meaning, I want your will, your mind, I want you to have peace in your mind, your mind, your will, your emotions. I want you to feel loved. I want you to feel secure. These are all attachments to your soul. So what I'm saying is my spirit man, that part of me that the Bible says that God breathed into Adam, that part of me... See, the animals, he just said, you're alive. But to, the, the, but to Adam, he said, you are alive. And he put the God thing on the inside of him. That's why whenever you see somebody hurting on the side of the road, it hurts you on the inside because you've got God stuff on the inside of you. So I said, maybe he doesn't care. And immediately, my spirit man was grieved. It was a time of uh, where the altars were open at the church. We were praying. And I went to the altar and I got on my knees. And I said, Lord, I am so sorry for saying that. I'm not somebody that doesn't know. I know you love me. I know you care about everything. I know you care so much that you know how many hairs are on my head. I know you care so much that you make a way for me where there was no way. I know that you care so much that you have a good plan for my life. I should never have said that. And that still small voice that I wish I could hear all the time, 24-7. But the bottom line is, it's not all the time for me that I sense God speaking to me that strong. Said to me, he goes, I care about everything. And immediately I thought, oh my goodness. And I felt as though I'd hurt my friend's feelings. So that's weird, no. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. The Bible says that he's our brother. We are heirs and joint heirs with him. The Bible says he's our king, but we have access to him. We have the ability to talk to him and walk with him and to experience life knowing he's right there with us. But the scenario is, for whatever reason, out of my mouth came this idea that he wouldn't care. And immediately my spirit was just so hurt because I had hurt my friend. If you don't hear anything else today, hear this. God is good. God does good. God is good and he does good. If you've ever had any other thought or theology in your mind about you, his child, if you've said yes to Jesus, God is good. If you haven't said yes to Jesus yet, then listen to this. God is good. He does good. He doesn't throw a storm on top of you. He meets you in the middle of it and walks you through it. God is good. He loves you in the morning. He loves you in the noontime. He loves you at night. God is good. He's looking over his plan for your life and bringing it to pass. God is good. He's looking at your children and your grandchildren and those prayers that you're on your knees praying and they come up like perfume and you got to understand that in the right season, in the right time, those kids are going to turn it around not because you're good but because God is good. He loves you so very much. Before you ever had the chance to say, I love you, he said, I love you this much. 
He's not a man that he should lie. He doesn't sleep nor does he slumber. He has no beginning and he has no end. He has no limit and he has no resources not immediately at his disposal. He loves you and God is good. Those three words can take you through the storms of life possibly better than anything else because bad thinking, the Bible says this, it says for a lack of knowledge, meaning for information that you don't have, my people perish. For a lack of knowledge, my people perish. Meaning if you don't have a gas gauge on your car and you're driving down the road and you run out of gas, guess what? If you'd have had a gas gauge, you would have known to stop and get some. For lack of knowledge, your car just perished. Same scenario with your life. God is good. If you've ever painted him with any other picture or if anybody else has ever painted him in any other picture in your eyes or in your mind, wash it out right now in the name of Jesus and never forget that God is good and does good. Verse verse 28. Have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is he weary. There is no searching of his understanding. The Lord is eternal. Here's another translation. Do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is an eternal God, the creator of the whole earth. He does not get tired or weary and there is no limit to his wisdom. He is not the portion of answers. He is the answer. He is not looking for an answer when you pray. He knows the answer immediately when you pray. He's not like you that, you know, now that we got Google, we can come up with almost any answer we want on short notice. If somebody asks us a question now, we don't even act like we don't know. We just say, yeah, just give me a minute. We put the phone down. We type in, what is a stalactite? And then you get the answer. You pick up the phone and go, yeah, that's something that hangs in a cave, brother. You didn't know that? You didn't know? You had to search it. He doesn't have to search it. There is no searching of his understanding. If you say, God, what's the will for my life? God, what's the plan for my life? He's not sitting there going and pulling your file and saying, if you'll give me a minute, I will find it. There is no lack of wisdom or knowledge in him. He has no limit in any area of his life. He created everything. He doesn't faint and he doesn't get weary. Getting weary is indicative of whenever you, you lose your breath or whenever you get to a place where you're exhausted or you're tired and you're, you're, you're trying to figure out how am I going to get to that? You're just, you're just tired, but, but you're exhausted. You haven't fainted because you haven't hit your limit. Let me give you an example. Have you ever exercised with somebody that's like a for real runner? I mean a for real runner. I have a cousin. She's in her 50s. She is the best shape human human being fitness-wise that I've ever known and has been my entire life. And I remember when I was in college, you know, I thought I was in great shape and, you know, I was, I really liked to lift weights and all the other things that college guys do and, you know, uh, kind of had that walk, you know, not the walk I have now. Now I've got the dad walk, you know, it's like, you got some money? I'm like, okay, here you go, baby. But I had that college walk, you know, you know, which what I'm talking about. Never put your hat on straight ever. You know, even if you wanted it straight, it was just kind of almost straight. Didn't tuck your shirt in on purpose. You know, everything about your life was filthy, but your truck was clean. <laughs> you know, it was, just, it, was just, it was just college life. You know, I was, I, was, I was a college guy. And, you know, it was one of those deals where, uh, you know, uh, you, you, you found every excuse possible to take your shirt off, you know. It's like, well, there might be a pool over there somewhere. Get my shirt off. You know, it was one of those deals. I thought I was, I thought I was, I thought I was fit, y'all. Don't look at me now. I'm telling you, this is then. 
Y'all got this too now. Don't, don't act like y'all ain't got that time in your life too. Some of y'all sitting there thinking, when I played high school football, I caught the ball, I threw the ball, I tackled the ball, I carried the water, I did it all. Some of you ladies are like, I was queen of the Nile in 1904 and I still got it. You know what I'm talking about, that time in your life. That's how I felt. It's getting weird in here, y'all. Goodness gracious. What was I even talking about? Oh, my cousin. Her name's Kim Walker. In case she hears this podcast, I want her to get all the credit because she really is an absolute amazing athlete. So we decided to go for a jog, or she decides to go for a jog, and she kind of asked me in front of people where I couldn't say no. She's like, hey, you want to go for a jog? And I was like, and everybody's looking at me like, you know, whatever. So I said, yeah, sure. I said, how far are we going to go? She goes, four miles. I was like, I'll take the truck and go to four miles on my feet. You know, I just bought these shoes, you know, I want them to get dirty. So we start jogging. Boom, boom, boom. And we hit about that two-mile mark, which, you know, at that point, I was weary. I was exhausted. I was sucking air. You know, I was, and I was like, Kim, if you need to take a break, I'll walk with you. And she's like, no, I'm fine. You know, and she's, you know, whatever, just jogging along. And I was like, all right. Well, I went another hundred yards or so, and I was like, look, I just got to walk for a minute. She goes, Okay. So I start walking, and I'm just like, whoo, man, just walking about like this. And, and next to me, she refuses to walk. She's just jogging in place real slow, you know. So everybody driving by knows I want to walk, and she wants to run. That's what I'm talking about. I was exhausted. The Bible says that we can get exhausted. We can get weary. But it also says we can faint. Now, God does not grow weary, nor does he faint. Now, faint's a different scenario. Faint literally means you've reached your limit. Everybody physically has a limit. There's guys that run, guys and gals that do Ironman competitions. And they'll they'll swim for like two miles. It's hard for me to even say that. Swim for two miles. And then they'll get out of the water. And and as a break, they'll ride a bicycle for like 100 miles. Maybe actually a little more than that. And then, after they get done riding their bicycle, now now they still haven't stopped one time, they run 26.2 miles, which is a marathon, all the same day. Now, sometimes I watch that on TV, which is as close as I've ever gotten to a triathlon. Thank God. And I watch it on TV, and sometimes it'll break your heart because there'll be people that, that say, you know, uh, 19 miles in or 25 miles in, they will literally hit their limit. Because here's the deal. A hundred yards into the swim, they're probably weary. They're probably exhausted. But you can push through exhaustion a lot of times. When you get tired and, and you're, 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 you're taking in more air, you're breathing hard, you can push through those things. But there's a place where you will faint. There's a place where you reach your limit. And you can see it from time to time where they'll be running and they'll hit that 25-mile mark and their whole body will just lock up into a full-body cramp and they fall over and they have to be helped by the medical team, maybe taken to an ambulance and, and, and rehydrate and all those other things because they faint. Well, here's the scenario. The Bible says that God never gets exhausted and never hits a limit. 
never gets exhausted, and never hits a limit. Verse 29, he gives power to the faint, meaning when you find yourself at your limit, you immediately became, a, you immediately made yourself eligible to receive power from God. The Apostle Paul said it like this, where I am weak, he is strong. I boast in my weakness because here's the thing with you and, from, with you and me. Oftentimes we get to the place where our areas that we consider ourselves strong, we leave God on the sidelines. The areas where we're weak, we're really quick to pray. We're really quick to give it to God. But the areas where we consider ourselves strong, we leave God on the sidelines. Have you ever been to the place where you're going through something in your life and you go through it for about a week, maybe two weeks, and then all of a sudden you realize, well, man, maybe I should pray about this. Like a revelation, like pop. Maybe I should pray. Well, here's the scenario. You probably considered yourself strong in that area. Well, the Bible says where you are weak, he is strong. And when you have hit your limit, then he supplies power. So the scenario is quite simple. It's your job and my job to do everything we can do. And the Bible says, having done all to do, stand. You and me come up against storms in our life from time to time where we can't take another step forward and victory is found in not getting pushed back. How do you not get pushed back? You drop anchor. And the Bible says our anchor is hope. Expectation that God's going to move. That means the bad report hasn't changed yet, but yet is the key word. I am holding fast to this anchor. I refuse to back up. I refuse to let go. I refuse to quit. I refuse to quit today. I refuse to quit tomorrow. I'm the one that's going to outlast even if I can't outrun what's chasing me. I'm not the one who's going to quit today. I'm not the one who's going to quit tomorrow. And when the storms of life rage and roar, I I will just simply hold fast my confession of faith. Everything about your life is tied not to who you are, but to who He is. The minute you find yourself at your limit, you have become eligible for Him to give power. And to them that have no might, He increases their strength. That word might is a very interesting word. It talks about no substance, no resources, and no wealth. Have you ever felt like if I just had this, I would be able to do that? If I just had this, I would be able to... Have you ever looked at somebody else's life and said, You know what? I understand they probably got problems, but I would rather try life with their problems than these big old problems that I'm toting around. Sometimes in our life, it feels like we have no stability. It feels like we have nothing that is rigid and solid that we can stand on and hold on to. But the Bible says to him that have no resource, that feel like they have no substance, he gives strength, which is a different word than power earlier. This means literally the backbone of your life. One translation talks about it literally being like a bone structure. For those that don't have substance, for those that don't have stability, he will give you something that will enable you to stand without bones in your body you would fall a pile of skin on the floor but because you've got bone structure you can stand in the face of adversity and the Bible says whenever God looks down and sees his children in a place where we feel like we have no substance we feel like we have no opportunity to stand our ground it's him and only him that provides the strength to do it You're not what you used to be. You may not be what you're going to be, but you are not what you used to be. Get on God's team when it comes to yourself. 
Now listen, I'm not telling you to walk around bragging about you or anything else, but you don't allow anybody to disrespect your children, then you don't allow yourself to disrespect you. You say, who are you? Well, I don't know who you are, but I'll tell you who I am. I'm Brian Lee Hallam. I am bought with the greatest of prices. I am the head and not the tail. I'm blessed in the city and blessed in the field. I'm blessed coming in and blessed going out. I have been, I have the highest bounty on my head. The devil wants to kill me, but God loves me. The devil wants to take me out, but greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Everything's coming against me, but no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. That's who I am. Now, you don't walk around talking like that at Kroger. Unless the devil shows up with a pitchfork and a pointy tail, I guess. I don't know. But what I'm saying is, don't disrespect yourself. You say, well, what do you mean I don't want to brag? You're not bragging on you. You're bragging on him. If you weren't worth it, he wouldn't have died. If you weren't worth it, he wouldn't have shed his blood. The Bible says that no man took his life, but he willingly laid it down. At one point, he told the disciples, he goes, Guys, y'all better get it right. I could call 12 legions of angels to come down here and wipe everything out, but I am laying my life down. You are worth it. You are valuable. You are highly favored. You are a child of God. I don't look at my children... And, and talk a bunch of negative nonsense to them. And, and to be honest with you, I don't let them talk negative nonsense over themselves either. Did you know that everything that God made, save you and me, who he formed out of the dust of the earth, everything that God made, he just did it with a spoken word. He said, there's a tiger, put some stripes on it. He said, there's an elephant, give big ears, a trunk, and a little tail. Why the little tail? But either way, there's an elephant. You know, there's an alligator. Put him in the water. There's a crocodile. Make his head skinnier, but make him mean as all get out. You and me, we have that on the inside of us. Jesus said these things, talking of the miracles that he did, these things and greater shall you do. He says that we're to be like Abraham who speaks of things that are not as though they were. What do you mean? Your kid comes home with another bad report card. You hold that report card. You slap him a high five. You say, you can do better than that because you have the mind of Christ. Bless God, we're going to study tonight. You don't get involved with agreeing with the devil. Not about your children. Not about your neighbor. Not about... Some people are nicer to the waitress at Denny's than they would be to their own wife. God bless the waitress at Denny's or anywhere else. But you understand what I'm saying? Those people that God has entrusted you with, that you're in covenant relationship with, get good at being kind. Please and thank you are not old-fashioned. They still work. Ladies, same scenario. You're nicer to the teller at the bank than you are to your husband because you've got this playing in your mind. He's always leaving his socks laying around. He's always leaving his whatever. He's never done. Get that stuff out of your mind and start saying, thank you, God, for blessing me with a godly man. You say he's hanging out at the bar till 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm not telling you to say what you see. I'm telling you to speak of things that are not as though they were and they'll come to pass. 
speak it into existence. Talk this thing into your situation. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. you got a heart problem. Ask God to get your heart renewed. Replace this stony heart with a heart of flesh that He can mold and shape back into His likeness and His image how He originally intended. But don't ever let your household be the place where kindness, love, compassion, peace, long-suffering, long-suffering goes out the window and then you're nice to everybody else. That's not in my notes. <laughs> I don't know who God's speaking to. I'm just telling you, kindness goes a long ways. The Bible continues, verse 30, Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. My kids are like the energizer stinking bunny. My little boy especially. His feet hit the floor about 6 o'clock every morning. <laughs> and he, he looks out the window. And if the sun's not up, he gets mad. He's like, man, I just is it daytime yet? We're going to play catch. We're going to throw the ball. We're going to hit the ball. I'm going to feed the goats. I'm going to feed the chickens. I'm going to eat my cereal. I'm going to watch a cartoon. I'm going to do this. We're going to get a race car. I'm going to do my little motorcycle thing off the little ramp, off my dresser that me and Daddy built. I'm going to put my cowboy hat on. I'm going to put my boots on, put my spurs on, put my belt on. Everything's going to be great today. Why is it the sun up? And he will come in the room sometimes. He'll be like, Dad, the sun's not up. I'm like, I'm aware In just a minute, that thing over there is going to beep and I'm going to punch it. (laughs) And we'll get up. Like the Energizer Bunny. Run all day. Our mailbox is a long ways from the house. We live out in the country and our mailbox is like on the main road and we kind of live on a dirt road. So sometimes we walk to the mailbox and he'll like to ride his bike or or whatever. And and, and we'll get there and and get back. And man, by the time, I mean, it's starting to get hot, y'all. It's Texas. I mean, it's starting to get hot. This, this winter time was weird, all cold, but it's starting to get hot. So when we get back to the house, you know, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm weary. I'm thinking iced tea, you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking ceiling fan. I'm thinking sports center. And he's like, he's like, Dad, you want to play catch? Yeah. Dad, you want to throw me some balls? Yeah. So we do. We get done with that. I'm like, okay, two more. I'll throw him two more. And without exception, he hits the ball and he goes, Dad, just one more, please. Dad, just one more, please. Every time. We get done with that. Dad, you want to ride bikes? Are you serious? We go inside, eat dinner. He's eating dinner, tapping his feet. Ready to go again. Because he doesn't get weary. But he does run out of gas. Usually about 8 o'clock, 8.30. He'll just get quiet. His eyes will kind of get heavy. And you'll see him and you'll say, Hey, buddy boy, you you sleepy? No, sir. (laughs) He'll sit in a chair. So, buddy boy, you, you ready for bed? No, sir. Before you know it, he's reached that limit. Even young people have a limit. Even young men fall. If you've fallen, and I'm not necessarily talking about falling away from God in sin, we'll certainly pray for you for that in just a minute. We're almost done. 
But if you've ever pressed towards a mark, if you've ever pressed towards something in God, and you missed it, can I just say if I asked everybody honestly in the building, we would all lift our hands, most of us, both hands. We need you to live the life that God's called you to. And that's the life that understands that you're the head and not the tail. We don't need you. We don't need the defeated you. We don't need the you that because you're going through a valley, you refuse to tell people about the goodness of God. We don't need the you that because you are uh, beat down and heavy laden, that's how you feel right now, that you refuse to refresh people with the water of the word. We don't need the you that walks in and everybody, because of the sour look on your face, knows that everything in your life, including the dishwasher, is broken. That's not the you that we need. We need the blessed in the city, blessed in the field. We need the God's going to do it again, you. We need the I believe it because his book says it. We need the I believe it because I've experienced it. We need the you that brings hope when everything else is saying something different. Paul and Silas found themselves in prison, the Bible said, for only preaching the gospel. I've never been to prison for preaching the gospel. I've been in prison preaching the gospel. Thank God they opened the gate. They got out. Has anybody ever ministered in prison? Raise your hand. It's a unique scenario. I'll never forget the first time I went in and I heard that thing slam behind me. I was so thankful. I was so thankful that I was getting out of there. But the point I'm getting at is this. Paul and Silas were in prison. Found themselves in the inner prison, the Bible said. The jailer was specifically tasked to watch Paul and Silas. You make absolutely sure that they don't get away. The Bible says that they were bound with chains. They were in stocks. They weren't able to move. They found themselves, and the Bible says at midnight, and I don't know about you, but midnight is late at night. It is representative of you can't see what came, what you can't see what was before, and you can't hardly see what's coming. You're in the innermost, darkest moment of your life, and you're trying to figure out, what should I do? Well, let me tell you what Paul and Silas did. They said, hey, Paul, yes, Silas, what do you think we ought to do? Let's have a praise and worship session. You say, what? I'm talking about the worst storm of your life. I'm talking about the storm you're going through right now as we speak that's running through your head. I'm talking about just taking a minute. I understand you can't even see what's behind you and you can't see what's coming. I'm just asking you, can we give God a chance? The Bible says that Paul and Silas sat there bound in chains, not knowing how God was going to move or when God was going to move. They said, well, God is good. And he does good. They began to sing, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. And as they were singing, the Bible says that the chains fell off of their hands. Fell off of their feet and they were free. 
And not only were they set free, but the the jailer came and looked and said, Oh my goodness, look at these chains that I had them bound in so they wouldn't get free. These guys are going to kill me. And Paul and Silas stepped out of the shadows where they were ministering to other people. And they said, Whoa, 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 jailer. We're still here. He said, What do I have to do to be saved? Paul said, Listen, not just you, your whole family is going to get saved. Here's the scenario. You and me. You and me are going to go through storms. We're going to go through trials. I'm not trying to prophesy negative things. It's just where we live. But the thing is, is you have a choice. You have the opportunity to, in your darkest moment, Paul, in your darkest moment, Silas, to still remember that God is good. In the inner prison, they're not only worshiping God, they're testifying to the guy who has locked them in chains about how good God is. We don't need the offended you. We need the you that's walking in the peace of God. We don't need the cynical you. I've been in church and I've been hurt in church. Get in line. If you get behind me, you'll see a lot of I don't know anybody that's been in church hadn't been hurt in church. See, church is an interesting thing. It's not made up of perfect people. It's made of people who have believed in a perfect gospel and a perfect Savior that smooths the gaps of our humanity with His deity. He's the God that changes everything in your life. And I understand that sometimes in some places people have hurt you. But what I would just say is God is not the one that hurts you. He is good. And He does good. Verse 31. Almost done. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Bear with me, please. They shall mount up with wings as eagles, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I've experienced God a thousand times in my life. And all I can tell you is if He hasn't shown up yet, more accurately worded, if it feels as though He has not shown up yet, wait on the Lord. That word wait is an interesting word. It literally means to hope in God, to look for God, to expect God to move. Those that hope in the Lord, hope is our anchor. It's the anchor to our soul. When the storms of life blow, it's the thing that holds us true and steady. 
shall renew their strength. You'll mount up. That's a weird translation there. It's more like the word rise up. Not like mount up like getting on a horse, but like to elevate. Like to new heights. Excuse the pun. They shall mount up. They shall rise up with wings as eagles. Those that hope in God will have their strength renewed and you will rise up like wings as eagles. They shall run and not get weary. They shall walk and not faint. How in the world are we going to run and not get tired, walk and not faint? Here's the scenario. Verse 28 says God doesn't faint and God doesn't grow weary. So when you said yes to Jesus and the Spirit of God that is in this dispensation that comforts you and me, The Bible says that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells on the inside of you and the power that you walk in is what gives you the ability to say, I'm not going to get exhausted. I'm not going to reach my limit. I'm going to move in this thing and God who is limitless, I am tapped into that power, not my own. Your life is not your own. Your calling is not your own. This kingdom is not yours. This kingdom is His. He's very serious about it. He loves you so very much. He gives you the ability to tap into His resources. So when that bad report comes, you can lock hold of the hope that's found in Him. Hebrews 11.1 Now, faith is When is faith? Now. Now faith is. You say, well, I'm going to get some stuff right. and then No. If you could have got it right, you already would have. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. If you were to go before the judge tomorrow because you've been accused of a crime, the first thing he would want to see and that the district attorney would present, the prosecutor, he would say, here's the evidence. There will be a place and time in your life where you will see, where it will seem like you have no evidence to support the fact that God's going to move on your behalf. Faith is the substance of what we Hope for. And it's the evidence. That means when somebody comes at you, and there are people who will try, why do you believe this? Why do you believe that? There will be a place where the only answer you have is by faith. Well, you're in good company. By faith, Abraham looked for a city that God built. By faith, David slung a stone and killed a giant. By faith, Joshua marched the Israelites around the the, the walls of Jericho only to scream at it on the seventh day and watch it crumble to pieces in front of their eyes. By faith, Mary believed what the angel Gabriel said to her, that you will have a child even though you've known no man. By faith, they went to the tomb on the third day and experienced who he really is. By faith, By faith, by faith, it means I can't see it, I just believe it. Your life is filled with opportunities to believe or not. I want you to leave today with a couple of thoughts. Number one, God is 
good. Say that with me. God is good. That will get you through almost anything. He's good. If you had a bad relationship with parents, don't think of that as how He is. He's a good God. If you had a bad relationship with an uncle or an aunt, don't think God did that. God is good. If you had a bad experience on the job, if you've had a bad experience in life, if you were in the wrong place, the wrong time, and it wasn't even you, but you're the one that paid the price, God didn't do that. God is good. Lastly, Hebrews 6, which says, Hope is our anchor for our soul. It's a very interesting word. It, 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 it could also be used for the crook of an arm. So it, it's like the anchor, you know how an anchor is like this, and then the bottom of it's kind of U-shaped so that whenever you throw it out there and, and, and you, you begin to, to pull back again, it digs into the sand. That's what holds it there. So it could be the same thing. So if you picture like the crook of an arm, the Bible says that hope is the anchor for our soul. The scenario is, is the stronger that the winds blow and the stronger that the storm rages, the deeper that anchor gets set. The more it pulls, the more it digs in. The more it pulls, the more it digs in. For you and for me, we've got to get committed that no matter what the storm, I'm not going to lose hope. I'm not going to quit expecting that God's going to move. If you do, you're a breath away from being bitter. I'm not talking about losing your salvation right now. I'm just talking about not fulfilling The call of God on your life. The minute you start deciding, I'll hope later. No, no, no. Hope now. It's the anchor. It's the substance of what we hope for. It's the opportunity to believe in the face of adversity. Don't let this day go by without taking your life to a new level of hope. Bow your head and close your eyes, please. That situation that you're going Thank you for listening. For more information on Pastor Brian and New Heights Church, please visit www.newheightschurch.info.